Spill finally gave the Ringer Spilly Crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right. Just a couple of Philly guys with a new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. It's the full goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Chicago everywhere, check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Boy, do I hate West Coast baseball. <laughs> I hate Boy. losing West Coast baseball. I hate yeah. losing West Coast yeah. baseball. Yeah, it's, it's not fun when you stay up late just to watch a team not hit. But that's what we did tonight. We're the late night boys tonight. Huh? We haven't done this in a while where we're up. You know, close to midnight, one o'clock in the morning. No, Since no. the last West Night West Coast games. Yeah, they were probably <laughs> five hundred then too. Yeah, what are you gonna do? All right. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think the conversations changed at all. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't, and it won't because it's the Chicago White Sox right now. And of course, you know, on the north side of town, you got Wilson Contreras being put on the ten day injured list because of a uh, an ankle sprain. All right, he's out there gutting it out, trotting around uh, the bases <laughs> and. And you, you can't have your, uh, your your vets out there, especially in a season that's gone to shit. Can't have your vets out there just limping around, hobbling around the last 20, 30 games of the season. But hey, what are you going to do? What episode is this? Episode 147? Is that 147, yep. 147 of the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. Those voices that you hear are not only of me, but of course, our production staff, Tony Gill and Jesse Lopez out there. And uh, and Callie doing his thing. See, Jesse doesn't feel the brunt of these games. You know, Jesse is fine with a a, a twelve p.m. You know, twelve a.m. actually taping. He's good with an eleven p.m. central taping because he's good to go. You know, he's got his whole night ahead of him. 
We, on the other hand, get a chance to now take this bad taste in our mouth to bed because um, the White Sox didn't score any runs. And you can't win any games if you don't score any runs. But again, you get yourself a, a defensive blunder. All right, you get you get a man tagging up at second base. Gavin Sheets loading up that arm, and it gets past three White Sox players. It gets past Elvis Andrews. It gets past Yoan Moncada, and it gets past Johnny Cueto, allowing a run to score from third because the ball went into the dugout, and that was the that was the ball game right there. Because in this land of sliders, right in this land of wipeout pitches, and we all know Dylan Cease got the best, one of the best, if not the best, in all of baseball. They go against a guy like Logan Gilbert in a bullpen who throws sliders to complement that heat. And when you've got that going, you need your left-handed hitters to to do some work, right? You got Yoan Mankata, who's a switch hitter. You got Yasmani Grandal, who's also in that realm. And those guys have struggled this year. It's as simple as that. They've struggled this year. The money players have struggled, and it's the common refrain throughout this season. The pitching has been there for the White Sox this season. The defense hasn't, and the hitting hasn't. All right, so with Miguel Cairo managing this squad, you throw Elvis Andrews at the top of the lineup, try to shake some things up. A.J. Pollock, you know, gets gets bounced around. So you change the top of your order, and you still get some of the same results. Now, I'm not mad because they won five out of six heading into this game, so I'm not I'm not terribly upset, but the, the pressure that they put on themselves by bouncing around all season long around this, you know, mediocrity that is this White Sox baseball season, you put pressure on yourself to have to finish things out like this. You got to, you know, when there's a chance to to take two uh, in the first two of the series, you got to do it. And there was a chance there tonight. Logan Gilbert is outstanding. And that Seattle Mayor and his bullpen is outstanding. I'm not even going to put it on Reynaldo Lopez. He gives up the two-run bomb to Cal Raleigh. Uh, but you know, by that point, you, you kind of you, you felt the vibes of the game, right? You could sit and, and feel how a game is setting in. The White Sox have kind of battled a little bit more in the last week and a half, two weeks. Wonder why? Wonder why this team has played a uh, more um, relaxed, you know, while be also being aggressive uh, brand of baseball. You know, Tony Larusa out checking on. Uh, the medical related issues, some some reports out there that it was, you know, heart related. And obviously we got to, you know, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully Tony is doing better. Uh, I'm interested to see if Tony is going to return to this team and how that will affect it. Uh, we've seen this team go through weak runs where they're, they're cool, they're, they're feeling good, but We've also seen them have bad weeks as well, which is why they're a 500 team. And, and of course, this isn't the White Sox. If you don't have a player uh, leave a game for a reason, uh, Luis Robert left the game with a bruised right hand. Uh, X-rays seem to be negative, so that's good. But this team has been injured. Uh, this team has had poor at-bats. Chuck Garfine on the post-game show for NBC Sports Chicago with Ozzie Guillen, my, my teammates, uh, mentioned that the White Sox have the most strikeouts with a man on third and less than two outs than any team in baseball. So it kind of lets you know that this team has not had the proper plan. And when they have had the proper plan, they're going up against outstanding pitching. This is the year of pitching. Pitching has bounced back in the major league. If you look at some of these home run numbers, hell, you look at some of these ERAs, like we, we have to recalibrate and kind of retrain our eyes to what a good ERA is because whatever you think they're doing with the baseballs and all the other stuff, hey, pitching is back. 
you know, runs are at a premium. And when runs are at a premium, you put together a squad that is based around hitting home runs and they don't hit home runs, you got to adapt throughout the season. And they have not adapted. The, 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 the legendary B-hack of one Anthony Rizzo from four or five years ago, that, that hasn't taken hold. And you've got the same voices. And Tony brought this up, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the, the Tony LaRusse experiment about it doesn't matter if he's not there because you've got some of his trained, you know, echoes in the dugout. You know, you've got all the people that he brought in that have the similar type of thinking. And who would have thought that Tony Russo would be the guy who wasn't hard on the dudes running who weren't running hard and, and didn't bench the guys who had poor bats? Well, that's what's happened this year. So when you get to the point where, where you're 26 games away from the season and it's kind of hard for that leopard to change his spots, and that's exactly what we're seeing. The, the offense has sputtered throughout the year. Of course, they've had their, you know, their, their spells over this last week where they've put up some runs and battled back. But even on a Johnny Cueto night, and, and more, more so seemingly on a Johnny Cueto night, his six innings pitch, he gets five hits, one earned run that shouldn't have been earned. You know, struck out three, walked three, and 96 pitches for you. He did what he had to do, give it over to the bullpen. Reynaldo Lopez has been terrific all season long. He hadn't had many situations where he's allowed uh, home run period, never mind late in home runs. So I'm, you know, I'm not mad at this loss so much as to think, hey, this is exactly what it's been like all year long. This this team has struggled in different ways, in different little areas. And when you have the expectations that White Sox fans had for this team, the margin for error shouldn't be this thin, but it is. It is. The injury bug, uh, the poor bats, the poor fielding, the the lack of attention to detail when it comes to base running that they've kind of figured out here over these last couple of weeks, but still lost them games throughout the season. This is what it is. This is what it is. So not a good night for Chicago baseball. Definitely wasn't a good night for Chicago basketball. Man, because them girls came out here. Chicago Sky against Connecticut Sun. The Sun was, Sun were, um, they were motivated. Elimination games are tough, whether it be men's or women's basketball. It's hard to put a pro down when it's time to go home. And Alyssa Thomas and girls was not having. They jumped out on the sun uh, on the sky. What twenty to six to start that thing? And I, I'm gonna say it now. And as much as I've been watching, especially in this playoff run, it's a different team when Emma Meesman is. Um, more active, right? Like you know what you're gonna get out of Kalia, you know what you're gonna get out of, you know, uh, you know, Quigley and, and Vandersloot, you know what you're gonna get out of, you know, Rebecca Gardner coming off the bench with the defense. And of course, Candace Parker is gonna be Candace Parker. When Emma Meesman is is around that 14, 15 points mark when she's moving, like they started out the game offensively with a couple of really good sets, but physically. They got pushed around a little bit. They didn't answer the bell early. And James Wade and, and actually Kalia Copper in the game mentioned it. Like, she doesn't know why they didn't come out as as motivated as they needed to be. They came out with a little bit more uh, of a relaxed kind of attitude, trying to, you know, in, in boxes parlance, trying to, trying to see what that jab was talking about, right? Try, trying to feel those first few rounds out. And by that time, Connecticut had jumped out and said, we, you know, we want to send this thing back to Chicago. So it, it, it comes back to Chicago and an all-deciding game five. Looking forward to that matchup. But yeah, not a, not a really excellent night or day for Chicago sports. Um, hopefully, you know, we won't be saying that for too long because we're going to have our Sundays mired by a whole bunch of Bears losses. But yeah, man, this wasn't, this wasn't it. <laughs> this wasn't it tonight. But yeah, the, the White Sox get the chance to, uh, 
take the, the, the series against Seattle Mariners coming up tomorrow as we are recording here. So coming up today as you're listening to it. And yeah, we also we also get a chance to uh, see what the Sky are talking about in an elimination game. But yeah, the, the, the White Sox thing, I'm not mad at it. You know, it is what it is. You know, Luis Robert gets hit by a pitch. So now you got to worry about when is he going to be uh, feeling like himself. He just came off of a long stretch of not playing. And this other thing, too. Jose Abreu, he's got his tower buzz, and Miguel Cairo was upset about that. It's just this season has been disappointing. Um, you know, I know they 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 jumped the uh, the top step when Lance Lynn thought it it was time for them to ride. Finally, you know, time for them to show a little bit of spunk. Finally, but too much, too little, too late. And in the situation where I don't think they they were being thrown at, there's been times this year where I think the White Sox and Jose Abreu have been thrown at, but I don't think that was a moment to do it. But Lance Lynn said he had had enough and he rallied the troops, and it was good to see some kind of spark or some kind of spunk out of this squad. It's just you you don't expect for this thing, this malaise to to last over the course of a season. And here we are. Here we are. 68 and 68. Uh, Cleveland wins. So, you know, you're still three games behind them. Uh, the Twins, you know, are floundering. But you, so are you. <laughs> so, so while we talk about wild cards and all this other stuff and even being in play for the division, those kinds of plays can't happen where two people are allowed to cut off the ball, neither one does, and a run scores in a situation where you know you're not getting anything off the starting pitcher, and you know their bullpen is doing it to them to the max as well. So when you get down there, you're going to have even tougher at-bats. It's just White Sox margin for error is way too slim, and they keep bumping their head against that. So until that stops, we'll continue to talk about an average baseball team on the south side. Coming up next on the pod, we get a chance to talk to a dude that I appreciate. Uh, Didn't appreciate him when I was a a fan, you know, and he was a player for the Green Bay Packers. James Jones, former wide receiver for the Packers and the Raiders. Uh, He he put a lot of heartache into a lot of Bears fans, especially that 2008 season when he led the league in receiving touchdowns. He is now doing his thing, not only for the ringer, but also for NFL Network. A solid dude, solid conversation coming up. A little bit of a Packers preview, even though he is so biased that maybe you should take it with a grain of salt, but he'll tell you about Aaron Rodgers and what these young wide receivers have to do to gain his trust. That's coming up next right here on the Full Go Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. What's up, bro? What's the word, man? Man, I don't know shit. Last time I saw you was Super Bowl, and then you, you ghosted on me. I know, man. It's been a minute, too, man. Yeah. What's, your, what's, what's new, man? Nothing. Nothing, you know. Putting, trying, to, trying to cope with being a, a kindergarten dad and, you know, trying to get through these summers in Chicago and made it through another one. Thank God. That's about it. How you feeling? 
That's it, man. Sure, you ain't in this summer in Arizona, so you're a little bit back. <laughs> yeah, nah, I can't even imagine. I heard about the heat wave. My man Jesse telling me about the heat wave in Cali right now. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's, it's hot out here, but it's all right. We used to it, man. But no, nah, I ain't doing nothing, man. Just coaching, man, in the middle of all this youth football. That's it. Same old, yeah. same old. I can dig it. I can dig it. So I want to get right to it, man, because I know I'm not going to get a, a an impartial, uh, objective <laughs> view from you when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, uh, your boy 12 is back again and, and ready to ride again. He out here messing with the uh, hallucinogenics, you know, <laughs> and doing, doing his thing in the offseason. Got a little tattoo. Uh, but Devontae Adams is now a Raider, right? So I, I know you You went from being, you know, okay to okay because you went, you went to the team that you, you know, you also represent with the Raiders. But how, um, when, when a quarterback has to not only lose his number one target, but now replace it with a couple of guys and Lazard and, and, the, and the dudes that they have on their receiving core, like, what do you think the drop-off will be, if any, for 12 in the Green Bay Packers this year offensively? You know, what well, my main thing is, is when I when I have first seen Devontae, you know, leave. And, uh, you know, we still got a little beef right now. You know what I'm saying? Every time I see him, no, man, you know, like I said, man, quit following my footsteps, man. If I went to the Raiders, don't mean you got to go through. <laughs> no, man. No, D.A. is my dude, man. But when I, when I really... Uh, when I really look at this and and think about when it's going to show up, oh, it's going to show up on them gotta have it downs. You know what I'm saying? Third and five, game on the line. You need a first down, whatever it may be, to keep the drive going. Twelve knew that Devontae Adams is going to win and be in the right spot. You know what I'm saying? He knew that. So for me, who is that guy? And we don't know. You know what I'm saying? We we don't know who that guy is. And, and, and for me, it's going to take a minute to find that guy. You know, I will not be surprised if the Green Bay Packers don't start off the season slow on offense. I'm not saying they're going to lose because they, they got a really good defense, big-time defense. But do not be surprised if they start this thing off slow, trying to find a way, seeing who that receiver is going to be, seeing who that guy is that's going to step up and make the plays. Because 1-7 is gone. DA is gone. But that's when it's going to show up the most to me. Because I, I, I played with Aaron, been in the huddle with Aaron, and when you got it going, he's looking for you. I've been in the huddle to when he say, hey, forget the play. Jordy Nelson, go make this play. You know what I'm saying? Jordy has been in the huddle when, he, when I was cooking, and hey, I don't care what coach might call, JJ, go get this ball. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? But he knew that we have earned that respect for him and showed him over and over again that we will win, right? Ain't nobody over there besides Randall Cobb showed them time and time and time again that they will win. So, you know, they've got to have it down. It's going to show up. For a young receiver like Alan Lazard and, of course, a guy like Sammy Watkins, who isn't a young receiver anymore but traveled, much traveled and now has to get used to a new system. When you talk about being where you're supposed to be and, and, and a quarterback being able to trust uh, his eyes and trust, you know, the, the nonverbal communication. How long does that kind of thing take in terms of not just chemistry, but being in those moments where the experiences aren't there to refer to? So you just got to trust it. Like, how long do you think that's going to take? Well, it, it's different type of chemistry. You know what I'm saying? Is it the chemistry that me and Aaron had, Jordy and Aaron had, where Aaron could get under center? And he can look at us twice and we know exactly what he's thinking. You know what I'm saying? Aaron can look at us in the huddle and we know the DA ain't got to say it. <laughs> I got you. You know that? Hey, that's years of chemistry. You know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. just knowing where a person is supposed to be and going to be, 
You know what I'm saying? Number one, that 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 starts in training camp. And number two, you could kind of find that rhythm at early in the season as the season goes on. You know what I'm saying? So if he comes out in this thing and him and Sammy Watkins done got on the same page for one or two catches and all that type stuff, now that's when he'll go back into the film room and all that stuff during the week and be like, hey man, I like I like your route right there. When we run it, when we call this route again, run it just like that. And you start building that bond and building that chemistry you know, to knowing where he's supposed to be. You know what I mean? And that that's probably about, I would say, about three, four weeks till he really finds that receiver that he's like, okay, he's my go-to. I know exactly what he's doing, exactly where he's going to be on a lot of these certain routes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the chemistry he had with Devontae, don't look for that if you're a Packer fan. The chemistry he had with Jordan Nelson, don't look for that. You know what I'm saying? Because that's years, you know, of, of playing with each other. You know what I'm saying? But, you know... That's why I say they're going to start off. I believe they're going to start off slow because you got you got to find that. And I think it'll come like week four, week five. What is uh, cranky Aaron like as opposed to everything's going well on offense? Like what 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 is, what's the feeling around the facility and locker room when you were in those huddles and when you was in that building? To be honest with you, bro, 12 is really the same. You know what mm. I'm saying? I know I know we on a pod, people can't see me, but 12 is 12 is really the same, man. He'll never get too high, he'll never get too low. He he stay right there in the middle. Now he does want to be perfect. You know what I'm saying? So if he's out there and he's like, man, we want I want this route ran like this in the game, and you get out there in the game and, and that that look shows up from the defense and you're supposed to run the route that certain way and you don't, you know what I'm saying? Then that's when he's gonna get on you like, bro, like we talked about this, and that's when you can really lose his trust. You know what I'm saying? Have you seen players lose his trust and, and never get it back? I've seen some player lose lose his trust because he didn't know exactly what they was doing. You know what I'm saying? I've seen some players lose it and get it back. Shoot, I lost it. Yeah? What was that like? My second year in the league, man, he, he threw me the ball. I was dropping everything. You know what I'm saying? That's why I tell my kids right now. I'm like, dude, don't, don't worry about the next play. Don't worry about the play that just happened, bro. Like, I, I tell them all the time, when I walk around in Green Bay, my second year in the league, everybody was like, man, this boy couldn't catch a beach ball in the cold. You know what I'm saying? Like, he 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 just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? My second year in the league. Now, when I walk around Green Bay, anybody you talk to, man, you had the best hands in the league. And I said, man, it's crazy how, you know, that you erase that really quick by, you know, playing, being, being consistent and making plays. But, yes, I lost this year, too. 12 will look at me in the huddle. I had one-on-one cover. He's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I ain't even blaming him. You know right. what I mean? I, right. I, I can't even blame him. Like, bro, I'm tricking stuff off over here. I wouldn't come to me neither. Even right. though I want another chance, I right. wouldn't come to me neither. But over time, I built that back up and where he seen me go on top of people's heads and make the tough catches and all that. And I, I built that trust back, back with him. But the main thing is, even with 12, it's not even about dropping the ball. If you're not where you're supposed to be, that's the problem. Now we talking pre-snap or we talking during the play? We talk we the pre-snap, you go, you go, you gonna know where you line it up, hopefully, or you ain't even gonna be in the game. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I mean, Bears fans have seen this. Bears yeah, fans no have seen wide receivers it. being moved back and forth by other wide receivers. 100%. <laughs> but if you got but if you got a curl route, and we've talked all week, this is how I want you to run that curl versus these looks, right? And you get out there and you get these looks and you don't run that curl route like that, then that's when it's like, come on, bro. You know what I mean? Now I can't trust you. Now I don't know where you're going to be. I don't really want to come back come back to you and all that type of stuff. I'm going to go to the other side. And you might even be open. You know what I'm saying? 
But those are the type of things. And I, I tell the rookies, I told Romeo, I told Christian when they got drafted, I said, bro, if you do anything, be where you're supposed to be. Because if you're where you're supposed to be, he's going to give you opportunities to make plays. And if you make them, they coming in bundles. You know mm. what I'm saying? So, you know, we'll see who's that guy this season that's where they're supposed to be and gaining his trust. The kid from North Dakota State is a guy that a lot of Bears fans have their eyes on, and obviously he's going to be playing now for, the, for the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. What do you think of the young guy? I like him, man. I mean, the, the, the sucky thing about it is he, he was hurt in training camp. Mm-hmm. You know? So he didn't really get a lot of lot of reps and all that with Aaron. But when you talk about everything you want on paper, you know what I'm saying? Big, fast, run, strong. I talked to the receiver coach out there in Green Bay. They like this dude got it. You know what I'm saying? Like he 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 really has it. You know all those traits that we've seen on field. You know they out here. You know, but I just think the sucky part about it is he ain't been able to get on that same page with Aaron. But I think once he does. They're going to have their deep threat for a long time in that offense and a guy that could, you know, make explosive plays and take take 160 to the crib, you know. But my favorite is Romeo, man. And I've been saying Romeo since he was at Nevada. I, I watched him coming out of Nevada into the draft and all that, and all I've been telling everybody is this dude is Greg Jennings. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's so smooth in his route running. You know what I mean? Really good body control, runs really good routes, an extremely smart player. He ain't going to wow you with his speed and, you know, jumping ability and all that stuff, but just a real consistent player, man, that's really smooth, really good route runner. And if you can run routes, you can play in this league for 10, 12, 15 years, man. And I, I like what I'm seeing from Romeo. I could see him being that guy that Aaron is looking for a third and five. All right, take me back to 2008, man. You led the NFL in receiving touchdowns, got 14 of them things that year. Uh, what well, you know, when when it comes together like that in the season for a receiver and a quarterback, obviously the chemistry is always there. But what what was that year like? Because is it like a hot zone kind of thing where you like you can't miss, or what 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 came together for you that year? Man, it's it's crazy because so. I was me and Devontae was raised by the same dude, Keith Williams, right? We call him Coach Dub, right? He trained both of us since we was eighth grade, right? So he's the type of coach to where you can't never relax. He is always on your back. You don't break a tackle, you come out. <laughs> you don't ball somebody, you don't even jog back to the huddle. You come out. You don't make the tough catch, you come out. He is on you 24-7, right? And before the, the before 2008, like I say, you know, that season before I led the league in touchdowns, man, I, I wasn't breaking tackles, you know, dropped a couple balls and all that, right? And I just wasn't playing it myself. And he said, and I told him, I'm like, man, I'm in a slump. I'm so used to you being in my ear, you know what I mean? Like pushing me and all that type stuff to, you know, keep going. And I said, right now, bro, I'm just relaxed and I don't know how to get out of it. And he told me, he said, bro, I'm not there. He said, you got to talk to yourself. So a lot of people don't know this story, you know, and some people do, but he's, uh, I started in the huddle. I started talking to myself at the line of scrimmage. I started talking to myself, you know what I'm saying? As the play's going, I'm talking to myself, you know, kind of like he was there, you know what I'm saying? And I would be in the huddle and Aaron will call the play. I'm like, come on, JJ, hey, get off the line of scrimmage. You know what I'm saying? Get in and out of your break. You know, I was just just locked in mentally. And the very first the very couple first couple games, you know, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, right? <laughs> and then I went on a run to where I had two, two, two. You know what I'm saying? And I 
And in that in, in that span, I'm like, I can't be stopped. <laughs> like, I was, like I was just I was just in that groove to where like I really thought like number one, when you're catching two touchdowns a game, you really feel like you're scoring every time you touch the ball. I don't care if you got ten catches in the game, you feel like you're scoring every time you get it. So going through that, I'm like, I am. Every time I get it, I'm scoring. I, I cannot be stopped out here. You know what I'm saying? And and Aaron felt the same way. Anytime we got in the red zone, close to the red zone, like I said, he get in the huddle. You hear the play come in, my, in, in his ear. He's like, no, 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 no. They're going to get this ball. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's something that I really wish that, you know, every receiver could experience. You know what I'm saying? To where you just in that zone, like, Number one, every time you catch it, you know what I'm saying? You feel like it's going to be a touchdown. I don't care if it's a five-yard catch, 15-yard catch, but you so much in the zone, bro, that you like, man, can't nobody stop me. You know what I mean? And I, I was getting off the board. I was on that span, the 2-2-2. Two, two, two. I had a Ty Don Hudson's record uh, for most touchdown, two touchdown games in a row. And that next game, I felt like I was going to have five of them. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just the zone I was in. I'm like, I'm Man, gonna shatter this record to, to James Rice. All of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm gonna shatter this record. But but it was just crazy. And the crazy thing is, is like receivers always talk about, especially me, Jordy, D Drive. We are, touchdowns are hard to get. You know what I'm saying? Like you could go out there and you could have 800 yards, a solid season, and all that catches, but touchdowns are hard to get. That's why you see some of these big-time receivers with 1,500 yards and five touchdowns. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? 97 catches, three touchdowns. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Six touchdowns. Like, it's hard to get in the end zone. So, when I was looking, man, at about week 10, and I had about 10 touchdowns, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm coming home telling my fan I'm going to break Randy Moss' record. I'm telling you, <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get it. I'm about to go for a dub out you here. Know, I don't know if y'all I, know I how cold so, I am. I was just so much in a, in a rhythm, man. It was crazy, man. But it started, like I said, with me talking to myself in the huddle. And it's crazy because at the end of the season when we lost in the playoffs, Randall comes up to me. He's like, JJ, you don't know how many times you helped me. He said, I heard you in the huddle like, come on, JJ. Look the ball in, bro. Get in there. And he said, instantly, bro, he said, I said, come on, Randall. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. going to myself, like, come on. And Jordy came with me saying the same thing. Like, man, like, I heard you in the huddle. And, you know, he was like, bro, you motivated me. And then it's crazy because Richard Sherman, I seen Richard Sherman after the season was over. And he was like, bro, when we played, you was just talking to yourself, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, bro, I had to get myself going, man, keep myself locked in. You know what I'm saying? Like, coming from the coach I had, I really had to keep myself locked in. And that was one of the ways that kept me locked in, man. And it turned into that type of season. Dude, you are, uh, in my year working with you last year uh, for the Ringer NFL show, you, you are one of the more upbeat and, uh, you know, uh, I would say, yeah, I didn't catch you on any bad days, and I know everybody <laughs> has bad days, right? Um, yeah. you, you mentioned your coach, your coach Williams, Coach Dub, and the the road from San Jose State to the NFL. But before that, you know, James Jones as a kid. What about your environment keeps you or kept you in the headspace that you continue to be in today? Because you know, 
like I said, I, I worked with you for a year straight, <laughs> every single Tuesday. And no matter what, we all came together and you you always lifted the group spirits and, and the energy was always there because of you. What, what about your upbringing, your background uh, kind of instilled that not next play, but, you know, today mentality? Well, man, a lot of people know my story, but for the ones that don't know my story, man, the first 15 years of my life, man, I grew up homeless. You know what I'm saying? That's, I done slept on park benches, slept in tents, under bridges, in and out of homeless shelters, in and out of motels with my mom. You know what I'm saying? It was a grind, man. You know what I'm saying? And I always tell people through all of that, you know what I mean? Everything that I went through, man, you know, nights where I ain't had no food, nights where I had to walk into to pizza spots and burger stands and all that and plead and beg, man, can I get a burger, some pizza and all that for my mom and all that, man, I promise you we'll pay you back and all that type stuff. You know what I'm saying? The main thing I learned through all of that was appreciate the little things, man. You know what I'm saying? And you never take nothing for granted, you know? So even like with all my teammates, man, you know, I would see these boys, you know, having bad days or coming to practice, you know, having bad days and all this type stuff. And, you know, I hear some of them complaining, man, they giving us pancakes again and all that. And I had to like, hey, what y'all talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so many people are trained to be in y'all spot right now. You know what I'm saying? They'd be walking into this building getting free pancakes and free omelets and all this, all this type stuff, you know? Some, so many people will pay to put your helmet on, man, and get your check and all that type stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I understand life hits and all that type stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but I approach every day where I just say, man, hey, I appreciate every little thing that I wake up from where I came from. You know what I'm saying? And and it's just a blessing for me, you know what I mean, what I've been through in my life to even be here. You know what I'm saying? So you probably ain't going to catch me on too many bad days. And if it is a bad day, I'm still going to have a smile on my face, you know, still going, you know what I mean? Because that's just me. You know what I'm saying? And, and everything that I've been through in my life, that's, that's how I've always been, man. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. You know, even when I look at my sons and all that right now, I'm like, y'all better fix your face, boy. I don't know. Flip <laughs> <laughs> you know on the lights like, hey, man, these are real nice, ain't they? Y'all think that this is how it's supposed to be, but y'all better fix y'all face. You know what I'm saying? And just enjoy what y'all got, man. But that's just me, man. And, you know, I had that all the way, I mean, my whole life and all the way through my career. Now that I'm working in the TV and all that, you know what I mean? It's still the same, man. Just just appreciate all the little things, man. And you know what I mean? Shouldn't have no bad days, man. Put a smile on your face, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you because that's the way I try. I should say try. <laughs> Emphasis on try to yeah. live my life. But I... I I, I I will never forget every Tuesday, no matter what happened the Monday night before. <laughs> I knew I knew James and Ryan were gonna be putting me in better spirits, and I, I definitely sure. appreciate you. And uh, you gonna give uh, Cooper Cup his just due this year, or you gonna you gonna be that same hating ass dude that you was last year? You know what I'm saying? We'll talk about it on the, <laughs> on the fingers. <laughs> I ain't gonna say in my top five. You know what I'm saying? How the hell? We fought this fight all year last year. This man got super, even though he should have been Super Bowl MVP. We oh, fought man. this fight for 17 weeks last year, and oh, every man. week I would chime in. Hey, you know, yeah. he had nine catches, 140 yeah. yards, two touchdowns. Yeah. Nothing yeah. out of you yeah. or Ryan. Yeah. Like, how, how is still? How are we still doing this to Cooper <laughs> Cup at this point? Like, hey, what are hey, you I, doing? Hey, the, hey, I'm going to share a story with you. I ain't going to lie, though, because, you know, he is he is moving up in my heart because I had a fantasy, I had a fantasy trap yesterday, and I thought I was going to get him, and I was hot when the person in front of him took him over me. I'm like, right. damn. Right, right. I'm letting, I'm letting everybody know next to me, man, Cooper, cup that dude. And I'm like, <laughs> 
saying? That's when it come out, huh? The draft. I'm like, man, he got work. <laughs> he got work to do. James, to do. James, I appreciate you, man. I always love hearing your voice. Good to see you. Hope the family is good, brother. Thank you so much. And we enjoy watching you on NFL Network, man. Keep doing your thing, man. Appreciate it, brother, man. It's good to see you, man. Yes, sir. James Jones right here on the Full Goal Podcast. We're keeping it on the football tip. We get a chance to talk to Venerable Scribe, one of the best in the business, uh, a post-game press conference OG. He is Mark Potash from the Chicago Sun-Times. He's going to break down not only what's happening at the top of the hierarchy for the Chicago Bears, but also what the on-field product will be this season as well. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. What's up, Mark? How you doing? Good, Jason. How you doing? I cannot complain, my man. Thank you for joining. I, uh, hey, no I appreciate it. I know. I know. We were supposed to do this earlier, but some breaking news got in the way, so I'm happy yeah, that right, you have right. cl- cleared the runway for me. You've been doing this for a very long time. You're, you're one of the more respected people in this city when it comes to any beat coverage. Uh, I, I want to start with the Ted Phillips news uh, that you know kind of broke, I guess, not too long ago about what his future plans or what his standing with the organization will or won't be going forward. In your time in covering this team, what, what has been overstated about Ted Phillips and his involvement, if any, in terms of personnel and all the other things, because people see him as the business side and he's, you know, he's one of these guys who anytime you're, you're thinking, all right, why is this keep happening or why are these evaluations being made on the coaching or GM sides? It's easy to point at Ted Phillips because, of course, you don't want to turn your ire to Virginia McCaskey and it seems like the hierarchy from there on down is kind of muddied. So what is what is overstated, understated or represented fairly uh, when it comes to Ted Phillips and his career and his position with the Chicago Bears? Well, I don't think his involvement in uh, in football has been overstated by any stretch. It's I think there's a misconception that when he says, you know, he's not involved in football, well, that means like he's not telling them who to draft. I mean, that was a that was a Michael McCaskey issue and stuff like that. That's where that kind of thing came from. But anybody who has a hand in deciding who the general manager is or who decides who the general manager is, as the team president does, he's he is involved in football decisions very much so. I think that's been where that. So uh, to me, that's a very fair 
a very fair complaint uh, uh, or criticism of, of Ted Phillips that he is involved in football decisions when he shouldn't be just as George shouldn't, shouldn't be. And, you know, unfortunately it's inevitable. Ownership has to have some hand in it. So, um, so, so I, so I just feel like, uh, I think it's been very fair. I, I don't think anybody's really overstated it. He, like I said, he's been involved. He's not making coaching decisions. He's not, he's, he's not meddling. I think meddling is the one that is the thing that kind of makes people think there's, he's over involved, but no, he's, he's, uh, he's responsible for what happens on the field. He's a team president. That's part of his role because he helps hire the general manager, the guy who hires the coach. So I think that's very fair. So why now with the uh, mutual departing of, of his, you know, his uh, duties going forward? Why now? Is it just because the stadium is you know, close to being done or what, what's, what's happened that this is the timing for this move? Well, I really don't know. I don't know Ted that well personally, to tell you the truth, uh, although I've dealt with him, you know, obviously for, for a long time. Yeah. But um, I, I just think uh, he's just ready to do something else. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't know if he's very is, is as cognizant of his record, of the fact that he is tied to the record of the Bears uh, through his uh, through his tenure, you know, you know, six playoff appearances and three playoff wins and seven winning seasons in 23 years that, you know, that's not good. I don't know. If that, I don't know if he looks at that and says, hey, you know, I'm not getting the job. And I don't think they're aware of the job they're doing, frankly. I just think he feels that at this time in his life, it's time to do it. And the writing was on the wall when he took himself out of the loop, uh, almost ironically, uh, when it came to hiring uh, the, the latest general manager. And, and, and it was because of the stadium issue. I just feel like he thinks it's time. I don't think it's because he feels he's not doing a good job. I mean, he said, well, that's, that's a disappointment. Like it's something like it's a bad pass in a pickup basketball game. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, to me, the record being is, is much more than just a career disappointment. It's, it's frankly, uh, you know, I, I would feel if it were me, I would feel that was a failure. Uh, all right. Let's stay there with the, if it were me vibes, because if you were Justin Fields and you take a look at what this front office has given you to work with coaching staff wise, offensive line wise, wide receiver wise, what would you be thinking? Because I, you know, I'm not the conspiracy theorist here, but I, for a guy that's supposed to be your foundation, supposed to be your quarterback of the future, I know tearing this thing down to the studs is the job that Ryan Poles has been tasked with, but can they fairly evaluate whatever he is or isn't, especially this year being so crucial? Yeah, I think it's a really uh, a really interesting question and a good point uh, about that, especially because the way quarterbacks of the, the empowerment of quarterbacks in the league is uh, you know they they were they know these things. They're, you can tell by Deshaun Watson. The whole whole thing started when he wanted none of this stuff came up until he wanted to leave Houston. That was yep. the start of the whole thing, and that's because players are more cognizant than ever of of the support they get, what how much they are uh, uh, valued and stuff like that. So you know, right, and that's interesting think for, for for fields because right now he's totally on board i mean I, I don't know him personally so i don't know what is in in the back of his mind but he's totally on board with getsy he's totally on board with what they've given him to work with and the fact that the scheme can produce uh opportunities for him to make plays in the offense the interesting thing will be as he matures and sees a bigger picture you know uh and this if it doesn't develop how will he respond then and i think that's just the, that's just the nature of football today with player empowerment, you know, you know, in the NBA, it's just unbelievable. It's a, mm -hmm. it, it, it dwarfs what it is in football, but football is going that way as well, especially with quarterbacks. You've seen Kyler Murray, you know, all these quarterbacks, they, they want, they're very aware of what's going on, but I still say he's at that kind of na a naive stage where he just believes everything they're telling him and that they're going to make it work. And I can't blame him. I, I think, I think that's what we're all waiting to see. I think it's the key question is, 
uh, is have they given them enough support and, and uh, you know, to succeed? And the fact that if this is considered a defining year for Justin Fields, it would be unfair if he fails because the, the criticism will be, uh, as I told polls, you know, at the press conference uh, earlier this week or last week, whatever it was, mm-hmm. that, um, that the, the, the complaint is going to be that you set him up to fail. And, uh, and, and that would, that's, that's really, that is the risk they're taking this year by doing this. But so this, this, that's what this year is all about. It's, it's Justin Fields development. Can they keep him upright and can they develop him, uh, with a very limited, uh, at least on paper, uh, some, uh, uh, receiving core, because you, if you, not to belabor it, but if you look at it, Let's see what we think about David Montgomery a year, uh, six months from now. Let's see what we think of Cole Komet six months from now. Let's see what we think about Byron Pringle and Dar- Darnell Mooney and Equinemius St. Brown uh, uh, three months, three, four, five, six months from now. And then we'll see just how much they, they've set them up. To, they've, they've hung them out to dry, so to speak. You've been around a lot of front office people in this city and you've seen them come, you've seen them go. What do you think of Ryan Poles in, in your you know first few instances, not only covering him, but talking to him? Well, I think he's, I guess the way I put it, unpolished, but still impressive. And I think he's got a lot of potential. Now, I say that because I've seen so many, so many times, I was probably almost or maybe even more impressed or just as impressed with Ryan Pace at this time in 2015. And I maybe I can't say the same thing about Phil Emery, but Jerry Angelo, they, you know, they, they always, this is the honeymoon period. This is where, and we are immersed. I, I'm almost, I always say this, I'm almost a bad person to ask because I am so immersed in training camp. You, <laughs> when they feed you this stuff, it can't help but kind of uh, 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 guide your thinking a little bit. And, and it, may, it kind of creates a, an inherent bias that, that, uh, that you, you know, you want, it sounds so good. They make it sound so good right. that uh, these narratives that uh, inevitably, uh, when they fail, you feel like, wow, why did I believe that? So I've seen that before. But that said, I think there's enough things that I've seen from polls that um, that that if he gets the quarterback right, he will be able to su- sustain success. And what I mean is, I like the fact that he hired his own assistant general manager and acknowledged that he can't do it all. I like that. Um, you know, I, I, I like the fact that uh, uh, he cleaned house. You know, that that's a that's a factor that you cannot overstate. You gotta remember in 2015 when Pace came in there, they thought he was he thought he was cleaning house, but he really didn't. Not like this. He still had Cutler, he still had Forte. Uh there in fact, I, I was looking this up for a story I wrote today. In 2015, their best quarterback was Cutler, their best running back was Forte, their best receiver was Alshon Jeffrey, and their best tight end was Martellus Bennett. None of those guys figured into the into the the future of the franchise. So that was kind of a wasted year. Poles, what I like is that he doesn't have that. His best running back is Montgomery, who will probably be here, but his best tight end is going to be Cole Komet, who will be a part of the future. His quarterback will be Justin Fields, who's going to be a part of the future. His wide receiver will be Darnell Mooney, who's going to be a part of the future. So he has cleared it. So I like, I, I am impressed by that, that he made that decision to clear things out and create this, what I call just a clean rebuild. I think that's good. And I, I just I like the way he handled the, the um I like the way he handled the, the Roquan Smith situation. You know, he had a strong hand and played it well. Um he did little things like when he was when he had his scouts uh, uh, uh when he had his scouts uh analyze when he, he pulled his scouts on, on the on the draft uh on, on draft prospects, he did it in a way that avoided groupthink. He did it individually. He's just a to me, he's a forward thinking guy who has potential to be really good at this. I, it, it's interesting because normally you think the bears, they have no intuition about anybody. You know, how would they know? how do they find this guy? You know, but I, so what I'm saying is he's got enough little things I've seen 
that differentiate himself from pace, but he's still got to get the court. If he doesn't get the quarterback right, he probably will not succeed. So I, that's the best way I can put it about what I think about Poles and, and his future with the Bears. Because you got to remember, you know, that dysfunction at Dallas Hall is very difficult to, to fight through. And he almost has to insulate. That's the one thing about with the whole Ted situation is I think this is an opportunity for him to for them to kind of just hire a biz, straight business guy and allow polls to kind of grow into a bigger kind of a Mike Tomlin type of role where he would eventually become the team president, hire his own general manager if he's as successful as I think he could be. And so I, I, I see that kind of potential in him. He's a young guy. He really gets he's a forward thinking guy who gets the, the 21st century athlete. And I can totally see him succeeding. But again, it, the one caveat, if he gets the quarterback right. Well, see, looking at that, like experientially, the foundation that's trying to be built here, you got a first year head coach. You got a young quarterback who, you know, is, is really we haven't even scratched the surface of what he can be or what he needs to be. And you got a first year general manager. What, what experiences are the building leaning on in terms of like, who are the OGs that are like, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. But while not usurping the authority of these people who are in these important positions. Well, that's just that they don't have that in Hales Hall. And, and it's, I think that's good because normally it's people like, you know, the, they, they talk too much to guys like Ted Phillips and George McCaskey and some of the, some of the old people at Hales Hall. Mm-hmm. And they just don't have an intuition about what it takes to be a good football person. You know what I'm saying? So I, I really don't, uh, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, you know, who is there that's been there a while? And, and there really isn't a fo- there really isn't a football mind that they can lean on. There isn't okay. there is no I don't think there is any real guidance. But what I'm saying is I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. These okay. guys are finding their own way, which is nor- generally not a good way to do it. But they're doing it in an age where it actually becomes a good way. I know it's a weird concept. No, I got you. In age. In this day and age in sports, you create your own path, and people are doing that all the time. You see it in college football. You see it in every every sport now, the NBA. You see, you know, uh, guys are blazing their own trail, and if you get the right guy, that's what my whole point about polls is. I feel like he's that kind of he's he's the kind of guy who can who can at least do that. Um, who who can be that kind of guy? So I can answer your question is. I don't think there really is a. I don't think he has anybody in house. I'm sure there are other people he's worked with at Kansas City that he leans on, he talks to. But in, in within Hell's Hall, I don't think so. And my my argument would be that's a good thing. Matt Eberflus, uh, I, I like him. I think he might be the A to B guy, you know, and getting your foundation right as we just talked about. But hey, I, I like guys who know what they are and coach to what they are, and you you know where the mistakes are going to come in. You know, you know, you, and we're going to learn personality wise, like how much he challenges, how much he listens to his players. You know, what does he go for it on fourth down? What does he do in plus territory when it's a punting situation? Those kind of things will play out throughout the year. But what have you gleaned from your experiences with him in this first training camp session? Yeah, I know. I like him. I, I, I like him not just because he's a good guy or whatever, but I, I like him because I think he's a good, he's got the mentality of a good head coach. The first thing he did was, you know, he's, that's his defense, but he gave the reins of that defense to Alan Williams. I thought that was a really key move that really said, I want to be a head coach uh, and, and not just a, a coordinator. It's almost the opposite of the Matt Nagy situation where Nagy, not to get off the t- subject, but Nagy deferred to, to, uh, to Vic Fangio and he should have, that was the right thing. But the dynamic, Ultimately, he was not good because he was all about offense, whereas uh, Eberflus is, is trying to be a real head coach, which is good. And one thing I also like when we talked to Ryan Poles, he told us that was interesting is that Matt Eberflus is already planning for the post-Luke uh, Getze era. In other words, he's, he, that was part of his, uh, his uh, interview 
uh, part of the interview process that polls really like is that, you know, when you hire, when you have a guy like Fields and you're hiring a defensive uh, guy as your coach, that's going against the grain. That's, you know, that's a, that was a point of criticism, but at least he hired a guy who already was, because as you know, you know, the, the, the flaw in that is, just like Brian Dable, you get your guy who develops your quarterback and then yep. he leaves. Now, where are you? That's that's why you hire. That's why everyone's hiring anybody who knows Sean McVay, because that's the way it's done. But 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 to his credit, I think that I, to me, as a, I, I like to feel like I, I know a little bit about management. I feel like that's a good that was a good thing that he had already he already has a plan for when Getsy moves on. And Getsy will be a head coach. I don't know if he'll be a good one, but I can tell already from Getsy, he will be a head coach, just like Gase was. He wasn't very good. But you, but but I have a better feeling that, that even just just not knowing Getsy very well, I have a pretty good feeling that he will be a head coach someday. And so, but the point is, Eberflus knows he's going to miss, he's going to lose him. And I think he's—I don't know if he's got a list or whatever—but he's already planning. He already knows that he's got he's got to have a plan B. So I, that goes back to the idea of just—I I just think he's a, he has the makings of a good head coach. But as you pointed out, when you, you, you let in, into that, it's all a big factor is how how is he on Sunday? We're about to find that out. Because a lot of guys, even the good coaches, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, Mike Tomlin has his moments, you know, and I, I love him. I think he's a great head coach. And, he, you know, uh, uh, John Harbaugh, they have their own moments. Even the best coaches have their moments uh, under under the gun in, uh, in, in on Sunday. And uh, and and so it's a really difficult thing. How will he handle it and how will he handle it? This is, goes back to Nagy. How will he handle it when he makes a mistake? You know, like he made one where he didn't. I can't remember one of the preseason games where he should have. He should have uh, 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 challenged it and didn't. And I don't know if he owned up to it, but you could tell he acknowledged, yeah, in a regular season, we might have done it differently. But how will he own up to his mistake? Because when Nagy had made mistakes in, in like, a game management, he wasn't – it kind of exposed a little bit of his ego a little bit and his pride. And I think that was a red flag that, hey, uh, this guy might not be all he's cracked up to be. Is there somebody or something on this team, a unit, a coach that we will be pleasantly surprised about since it's seemingly in, in, you know, national reputation despair? And of course, locally here, you get a few people, obviously, who think the Bears are going to win every single game. But there's an understanding that this is going to be one of the six or seven worst teams in the NFL. Is there something that's going to surprise us, you think, so, uh, throughout this year that you've kind of been locked in on that you're waiting to see bubble up? I just think I've been so I'm sold on the defense and I'm, I'm sold on the defense being competent. And without even without Roquan, I thought they'd be middle of the pack with Roquan, who's a really, uh, to me, on paper, a perfect fit for this team. He should uh, handle the, the Shaquille Leonard role uh, to a T, maybe even better than Leonard. Uh, so I, w- with that said, I, I think they're middle of the pack, but more towards the uh, 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 high, uh, uh, like 10 to 15 range. Okay. And, and this team, you know, this with lesser talents, uh, Eberflus's first year in Indy, they were tenth in points scored. They went from thirtieth to tenth this first year. So there's already evidence that, that that these guys, at least the first year, buy into this. And I think the defense, especially the linebackers, I really like the idea of Morrow being a speedy guy next to Roquan, as opposed to Trevathan, who was a really good linebacker, but at that point of his career, speed was not his forte. And, and I think Morrow is a really fast guy. And I think I like Roquan playing next to a fast guy in a defense that depends on speed. I just see that being, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's going to be a big hit per se, but it's going to be, I, I think, something, an anchor for this team that will allow their offense to uh, take their time and develop. How long have you been on the beat, Potts? Well, I've been covering the Bears in some form or fashion since uh, like 1996 or 97. Uh, at the interim period where I was just covering it remotely almost when I was on mm-hmm. the happy desk, but, but, uh, you know, pretty much for the last 25 years and, 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 and at house all, you know, pretty much all the time since 2000, 
late 2009 in, in my second time back on, on the beat. So it's it's uh, enough enough to be uh, <laughs> enough to be pretty cynical. Sorry, I'm scarred by a lot of years. No, nah, don't be don't, nah, don't be sorry. I can, hey, every post game we waiting we waiting for that mic to come around, especially in the loss. Like all right, the fun and game's over. Potsy's on the mic now, and, and it's appreciated. Uh, where where does the fun? Speaking of fun, where does the fun in the job still pop up for you? Like you know, people you know you run into people all the time. Like oh, you got that job, it's so cool, and you're like, hey man, some parts of this is work. Obviously, you, you know, there's a grind to it. But then you you, you, you you zoom out and you go, hey, I'm, I'm covering sports or I'm talking about sports. I'm doing what I want for a living. What Where do you still find the fun in, in covering the beat? It's funny uh, you mentioned that because I've been saying, I, I've always said it, you know, I, I always say whenever people I say beats working for a living. Hell yeah. I have to say at my age, after doing all, it no longer beats not working for a living. And it used, <laughs> and it used to do that. I used to, you know, I, you know, I used to cover the bears at the, and, and I'll do a lot of things at the expense of time off because it yeah. literally was better than, than, than not working. That's so much fun. But it did, but I guess, I don't know. I, I think it's just that it's the bear. That it's that it's football. I like all sports. I cover the Cubs and Sox whenever they ask me to. I just I think it's a privilege. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, and I to this day I look out. I'm at the press box at Wrigley Field, and I look it out, and I say, you know, here I am. I'm 63 years old, and I'm covering the Cubs for the Sun Times at one of the cathedrals of American sport. And I think that's I'm glad that still means something to me at 63 as it would have if I was 20 or 22 when I would have killed to do that. Now, so I've always had that appreciation. Now, there's many things about covering the Bears and access wise and just it's just different than and and then Internet wise. I'm, I'm Everything's more immediate. I'm just I'm just not built for it like a lot of the younger people are. So I have to admit, it's not as it's it's not the same as it used to be. Right. And like I said, it doesn't like I said, seriously, it does not. It, it, you know, there's other things I could probably I'd rather do, I guess, uh, as far as being <laughs> with my off with my downtime instead of right. work. Uh, but that's just this old age, I guess. But anyway, but the point is, I still enjoy it. I'm, I'm glad there's always a little bit of me. I always say, like when I'm covering when I do the Bulls or the Hawks or the Cubs or the Sox, you know, not my regular beat that I, I always think it, I, I think I think it's great to me that I still have that little kid in me that would have killed to do that when I was in college or, you know, you just say, Hey, do you want to cover the Cubs for the sometimes? You know, I, it's, it's not the same thing, but uh, there's still a little bit of that in me. And that's what makes it, that, that's, that's what kind of makes it fun for me, I guess. So as far as the bears, it just, um, it's just the fact that it's the bears and it's the NFL and it's football mm-hmm. and it's, I'm watching games for a living and it's not, and you're right. It's not, people think it's, it's not what people think, you know, right. it's, still, <laughs> like, it's still, you know, it's still work and, and it's not, it's not, it's not as much what they think, I guess. It's hard to explain. But right. but on the other hand, you know, I do very often, uh, whether I'm walking to house hall or whatever and saying, man, like when you're walking through the crowds, like at, at training camp and you see all these people like at the, where they have the, all the, uh, the, the training camp type of uh, festivities and things like yeah. that. And you're with all people who are out there for the day and say, man, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm getting paid to do this. I'm paid to do this. I'm working for a living. And I still appreciate that. So I think that's good. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, obviously it's a, it's a great thing whenever you can enjoy what you're doing. My dad always said, you know, uh, you know, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And yes, for sir. a long time, I thought he coined that phrase. I didn't realize it was like what everybody says, but <laughs> right. that's when you look at your dad, you know? So, <laughs> but anyway, all I say is no matter what, he was right. He was def- definitely right about that. Yes, sir. Shout out to Pops for that. As, as we spring you here, man, best day of your career, worst day of your career, Pops. Wow. I'm um, really bad at these questions. Um, uh, best, best day of my career. Uh, I, you know, any of the championships, I, I would say, you know, maybe, maybe the, um, 
I would say, you know, maybe the Blackhawks, this would be strange because I'm more of a baseball, basketball guy, football guy, but the mm-hmm. Blackhawks, because when they won in 2010, it was the first time I witnessed it. I witnessed it and I actually got to witness it. It was an overtime game. So we didn't have to go down to the press room while, you know, bef- you know to make our deadline, mm-hmm. uh, which we you have to do in this business a lot. And so I actually got to witness that and that unbelievable goal. And that, I think that was a great moment. Um, I can't think of a bad moment. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm at a little bit of a loss. Bad moment as far as for me professionally or or, or just Experience. Like, tough, tough day, toughest day in your career, you know? Yeah, no, I just remember, you know, one thing I've done and I feel like I've done in my career is being a Chicago guy. You know, it's easy for people who aren't from Chicago to cover Chicago teams because you don't have that innate emotion about it. And I'm a Chicago fan. I'm a huge nerd, Chicago sports fan, sports radio guy. I mean, I was calling sports radio shows in the 70s, you know, when they weren't even when there was no score or whatever. You know what I mean? So I've been a huge sports fan. And so it's when you cover the teams, it's it's easy to get caught up in the emotion. And I think I did a really, I've done a good job of separating that from covering it and not being a homer and not being and, and, uh, both ways. And I remember probably the toughest moment was on the Blackhawks, again, the Hawks, when they lost in 2014 to the Kings uh, in game seven. They had a two nothing lead, just like the Hawks had when I was a kid against the Canadians in game seven of the uh, Stanley Cup final. And uh, they would have won the Stanley Cup. It would have been their second in a row, which was not that had not been done in a while. And I just remember being that. I remember that being the, the the most dread I felt as far as the events I was watching. I've had many bad days where like my computer's blown up and I lost <laughs> my story and stuff like that, and I had to dictate and things like that. I can't pick one. But those are the worst days in the business professionally. Is when you've got to you know you got to start over, you lose something, or when you talk to a guy on the phone and then you realize you didn't push record. You know, that, oh my that's, God. That's, Tell a, me about that's a nightmare. And then you got to call again and have the same, every, I'm trying, it's like trying to write a story over again or have a conversation over again. That is, a, those were the, I can't think of one specific time that that has happened. Or when you're covering high schools and you get locked into football stadium, like sometimes <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and, uh, uh, so, you know, but, you know, have me on again. I'll have a better answer. I wouldn't <laughs> like that one, but, uh, you know, I'm a newspaper man. I need time to think. I can't. I'm bad I at time radio because I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, but I'm sure I've got a lot of stories. But right now, I can't think of anything, anything specifically. Nah, don't. Hey, cut it out. You are you are the nuts, man. You are a uh, press conference OG. You, you, you shoot it straight. You don't bullshit. But it, it seems like you're, you're coming from a fair, decent place at all times. Uh, we appreciate you out here. I, you know, I've been... I've been tapped in, you know, since I was a youngin, and still, still to this day, you know, whenever Potsy's on the microphone, we we all stop and listen. So understand that I like to give people their flowers, right? And you know, uh, beat writers, guys and girls, you guys don't get enough of the credit that you get being the conduit from the team to the fans and passing along the information that people need. Uh, you are one of the OGs, one of the legends in this in this city, and it, it shouldn't go without being said. So thank you for what you do, man. I, on, I appreciate on the, on the it. Let me say one thing let me say one thing though yeah for sure I don't, those moments those press conference moments i don't really enjoy them I'm, not, <laughs> I, I, I'm very i hate putting people on the spot i'm just not i'm really not built for this job it's really uh, something that i've been gotten this far I, I don't i don't enjoy that but you know that's the only way i can really do my job frankly right. so that's why i did so just for the record i because sometimes people think oh man because some of these guys you see like political guys who shout at the you know president or they they love doing that. They, they love, <laughs> now you see Chuck Gowdy or somebody like that. You know, yeah, I think they get a kick out of uh, out of doing that thing, and and I am very uncomfortable doing it. So, it, but but sometimes people think, oh, you're showing off or you're doing this. What? No, doing no, your that's job. 
that is that is the most uncomfortable part of the job, frankly. And and uh, I'm glad I've been able to do that because only because mainly because people do appreciate it. And that's the best thing in this job was people say, "Oh, you spoke for me," or "You you you said what I wanted to say." You, you, that's my whole that's my whole thing when I'm what is I like a fan. What would a fan want to know? What does a fan want to ask? And I feel like people. So when people say that, like I appreciate you saying that because that that does mean something. But for the record. That those are my greatest moments. You know, yeah, they're, they're, they're very they're very difficult for me. But again, that's 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 part of the job. And I hope I I, I have to admit it's a fine line. I hope I don't ever over. I hope I'm not overdoing it, because sometimes you get credit for things, and then you feel like that's your role, and it's kind of mm-hmm. difficult. It's a really awkward, tough thing to handle. I don't want to be the only guy. And the other thing is the only thing is that not to keep you, but the other thing is that you don't always want to be the guy asking that kind of question tough question right in this day and age this is what i call the friend or foe era of sports journalism where it, these guys are all conditioned in college if you're not asking them how great they are you're the enemy so there's a negative to always asking about kind of the elephant in the room or the you know the the worst moment the thing that kind of thing so that's there, there's a downside to that too as well uh, you know i yeah. can make I appreciate the, I appreciate your thoughts on that because it does it does mean something to me. So thank you. Yeah, no, I can empathize, man. I'm not a confrontational dude. And when you have to ask those kinds of questions and you know a person has performed poorly and they know it as well, it's two ways that thing can go. And you're hoping it could go the 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 right way where they give you a fair and honest answer. It doesn't always go that way, but you keep firing. And I think that is where the respect comes from from everybody who gets a chance to take in your work. So, Mark, I'll let you get back to it. I know I, I hear the email chimes going off in the background. I know you got stuff you got to do. Uh, I appreciate you jumping on, man, and it won't be the last time. Well, Jason, thanks for the thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and, and good luck to you. You do a great job, and I, I'm, I'm happy for your success. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Mark Potash right here on the Full Goal Podcast. The Full Goal with Jason Golf. So we have a cross-section, and it happens every once in a while, where we can bring Chicago to our guy, Jesse Lopez. And boy, did Chicago get brought to Jesse Lopez in a major, major way. And we saw the, the, the beginnings of it uh, today when Patrick Beverly was announced, not even announced, but he, he met the Los Angeles Lakers media today. And I don't know if you guys out there got a chance to catch what Patrick Beverly had to say about his new teammates and enjoying himself as a Laker, but he was asked the question. I don't know if we have the sound, so I'll just paraphrase. He was asked, oh, we have the sound? Oh, even better. Even better. Ladies and gentlemen, there are certain people in this world who move with a, a, a spoken confidence, not an unspoken confidence, but a spoken confidence where you're like, man, like I know how I am on the inside. People might think that, you know, oh, Jay is, is confident, you know, he moves with a certain, a certain je ne sais quoi, a certain, certain, certain love, a certain, uh, certain vibrancy that, that is hard to, to top, nevertheless match. And you're all wrong. You're all wrong. I'm a ball of nerves on the inside. I question everything that I say every moment that I'm saying it. And every once in a while, I got to take a look in the mirror just to realize who the hell I am, right? Ladies and gentlemen, from the west side of Chicago, uh, Patrick Beverly does not have those problems. This was Patrick Beverly's answer when asked, hey, man, are you excited to be playing with LeBron James? 
You'll be playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They'll be playing with me. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I made the playoffs last year. They didn't. That's the difference. Have you, have you guys started talking yet? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I'm, for, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we get a chance to play with each other than, you know, anything else. I'm excited to see it go on. I'm excited to, you know, to get the battling going. And you've been excited to play with LeBron for a while. Yeah. We started, uh, I was with the Miami Heat. I was a rookie. He was there. Uh, so to come around, uh, you know, and tell his career, uh, Right in the prime of mind, I'm super excited. Ladies and gentlemen, like the the subtle confidence tripled down by the just outright brashness of he gets to play with me because I made the playoffs last year. Boy, I tell you, this is oh my God, West Side to the death of him. And I appreciate every piece of it. Some people are annoyed by Patrick Beverly. I am when when the Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> won and that man ran around as if they had just won the chip, listen, give me as much Patrick Beverly as possible. I love watching him be whatever the hell he is on the court. Like, I've always thought that Patrick Beverly's um, defensive prowess was overstated because of the amount of activity he has on the floor, right? Of course, you know, he's that guy. He's that dude. He's going to do all that. And by the way, shout out to Spectrum Sportsnet for us to, you know, allowing us to use that that sound. And I, I've always thought Patrick Beverly was the, like, the American dream when it comes to NBA basketball. You know, you you, you have the college career. You have the high school career that he had. Like, people don't know. Like, Patrick Beverly was a terrific. I mean, hey, you get to the NBA, you were a damn good high school player, obviously, right? But he was a terrific high school player. Score, leader, all those things. Goes to Arkansas, does his thing. And I'll never forget the tale about, you know, the backyard party where they're waiting to hear his name and he doesn't get drafted. And, you know, that's a that's a tale that's, you know, more common than a lot of people think, right? Whether it be, you know, D. Brown or other guys, you know, from the area. Hell, you know, Io DeSumo, right? Had a terrific career at, at, at Illinois and then sat around to the second round at a party over there at, Be- what was it, um, was a bracket room right there in University Village. And I remember being invited out to that thing. I don't really do draft parties or whatever. And people sat around and waited and he felt awful. And of course, he turned this thing around, getting ready to have a monster season in his second year from the looks of it. But yeah, that, it's a tale that doesn't go told enough. It doesn't get told enough. And I don't know how much Patrick has made throughout his NBA career, but the fact that he had to go overseas, do what he had to do, come back, find his way. I worked with a guy named Sam Mitchell, right? Sam Mitchell went to Mercer University, had to go overseas and do his thing, come back, I believe, when he was 25, 26 years old. And he he found his lot in life as an NBA rotational player, being a star in his role. So I I applaud and I, I, uh, I love, I love when guys make it especially that route, because you understand it wasn't as easy as some other routes might be, right? And that's what makes you. So that's why anytime I see Patrick Beverly wilding out or anytime I see him getting into it with people or anytime I see him gesticulating about how he just shut down a perimeter score and and pounding his chest and talking shit to the sidelines, I always think about his journey. Like, he's a, he's annoying as hell to some people, but when he's your teammate, I'm sure you love him. And now Russell Westbrook gets a chance to be teammates with a guy who's hurt him twice, okay? 
I heard him twice. Now, Russell Westbrook has done everything in the, the early goings it is to make it look like everything's going to be all good. And they're professionals, right? They're grown-ass men. Like, they're not going to hold grudges. Some people do, but I think that they're, they are professional enough. Hell, during the press And Russ don't want to go home. Yeah, but I mean, Russ ain't going home <laughs> when it comes down to it. I mean, I think it was Russell out was, there. It was out there. It was I out think, there. I think Russell's... Um, Poor play last year was overstated as well. He just got put in a position where he didn't have a football. Didn't have a football. See, I'm ready. I'm ready. He didn't have a basketball. He didn't have a basketball, and he's not an off-the-ball player. So you're going to get 17, 18 points a game out of a guy who isn't a spot-up shooter and has to find his way through the offense for the first time in his life, even though he's bounced around here the last couple of years. I I think it's going to be uh, something to watch. Uh, the Lakers have added another older player, so you know there's that. Um, and, and from the, from the looks of it, you know, NBA 2K23, LeBron James is still the, uh, second or third best player in the league, apparently, huh? You see the ratings come out? Giannis gets a 97, so he's ahead of everybody. And then, and then LeBron is at a 96. You know, you got Steph and Luka and all those boys and Joel Embiid at a 96, 95. This is year 21 for that man. So, Jesse, get ready to, um, to experience Chicago at a different level. You, you've experienced Anthony Davis, right? Which is, you know, it's Chicago, but it's, you know, it's hurt Chicago. Right? Yeah, I was about to say fragile, a little fragile. Yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the Chicago that, you know, is, you know what it is? Anthony Davis is... Um, you don't know what it's life like on, on, on these concretes. Yeah, knock it off. Knock it off. Neither does Anthony. You know what I mean? Let me stop. That's not true. Anthony does, but you know, Anthony's he's usually experiencing it in the street clothes. That's another that's another unnecessary shot. And and I don't apologize for it because it's been him. You know, maybe everybody needs to go back to the bubble so so it can feel a little bit more comfortable like it did when Anthony turned into Kareem Abdul Jabbar. <laughs> but other than that. This Lakers season is going to be interesting, Jesse. Uh, I, you know, I know you've worked in, in, around the Lakers uh, broadcast and with the Lakers broadcast, so I know you're tied in. I know you're a Lakers guy. Get ready for uh, the West Side of Chicago to to uh, make its 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 presence very well known. Because if there's one thing that's going to happen, Patrick Beverly ain't going to be quiet through a bad season. Like, you got a lot of guys on that bench and a lot of guys in that starting lineup who were relatively quiet through a tough season. You let LeBron say what he has to say, and if he doesn't have anything to say, if he's not being snarky or if he's not upset about the things, then you, you pretty much got a quiet season. No, 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 no. That is not going to be the case this year. I cannot wait for the first three or four game losing streak where Patrick Beverly starts calling dudes bitches and starts to disrespect people publicly. I cannot wait for it because it's happening. It's going to happen. You can, yeah, as, as, as sure oh, yeah. as you're, as, oh, yeah, as sure as you're sitting right here, Tony, you already know the vibes. Like, <laughs> Patrick will not take losing lightly, even if he is a part of the losing. <laughs> even if people are sagging off him and saying, hey, shoot whatever you want to shoot, little guy, because we out here playing, you know, on the power play when it comes to, you know, having to guard you. So I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the NBA season on all levels, right? I'm just glad Patrick Beverly didn't go to an Eastern Conference team to be in a further and no. Like all he, all Patrick Beverly had to do was go to the Milwaukee Bucks to piss uh, all Bulls fans off because there would be another annoyance on another great team that has slotted ahead of the the Bulls in the Eastern Conference. So yeah, uh, enjoy your little taste of the West Side, uh, Jesse. I, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the experience that the Los Angeles Lakers fans have this year. 
And no better way to kick it off uh, than being introduced to the media and telling them that LeBron James is going to get a chance to play with you, Patrick Beverly. It's the full goal, baby! That's all the time we have for episode 147 of the Full Go Podcast. want to thank our guests, Mark Potash and James Jones. As always, we appreciate you, fellas. Join us on Thursday when Roy Wood Jr. will join us. Is looking forward to talking to him about his new movie, Confess Fletch, and also about stand-up and the soul of jokes. All the things that happen in the business that we don't know about is a really good sit down with Roy Wood Jr. So looking forward to that conversation. Don't forget, the voicemail line is always open. 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. And we're going to have a special spin on it this week because we're going to do an Ask Me Anything, right? Any questions that you have on your mind, whether it be sports, life, my career, your career, you need advice, whatever the hell it is, is going to be right here for you. So we're going to do a little Ask Me Anything at 773-359-3103. Lock that in. Make sure the full go voicemail line is a part of your contacts. Maybe it could be your ice number, right? You're in case of emergency. Every once in a while, we slip and fall. We might need to throw something on the voicemail line if you have a slip and fall. Don't do that, though. Don't don't slip and fall and call a voicemail. But it'll be open for you. I want to thank our production staff. As always, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the active Jesse Lopez, and my main man, Tony Gill. For the fellas, I am Jason Goff. Thank you so much for listening to this thing, for downloading this thing, subscribing to it, of course, rating and reviewing it, sharing it with your friends and family. We truly appreciate anything that you do for this pod. And as always, man... Start to take better care of each other and always be safe. We'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.